Lord, it's really good um, to be here with you guys this morning. Stages are a little different than they have been at other times, and um, I don't know of many pastors or worship leaders who, when they felt the call of God, they uh, felt like they were signing up to have their face broadcast on HD um, on screens all across the, the world for anybody to see and to hear. And uh, it's a challenging time for a lot of people, but we're just praying God continues to make the most of the, this uncertain time. And I'm so grateful for the Grove. The, the birth of the Grove coincided with our arrival to Richmond. And so it's been an honor to, to walk alongside of you guys and to, to get to know your team and Lance and your elders. Uh, just, just nobody I respect more than this group of people that God has brought together here. And just so you know, like this isn't just like showing up and flipping a switch and you have online service. There's a team, a small army of people working together to serve you in this way so that you can be sure to have worship uh, together corporately but scattered. And so I'm grateful to everybody here in this room and I know you are too for their hard work and every week, week in and week out. No, this isn't how anybody wants it to be, but it's how it has to be right now. And what an honor it is to be able to to join together and continue to worship God together, even from living rooms or wherever you are this morning. It's great to be here. And I love also um, that you guys are taking some time to dive into the Proverbs this summer. I spend part of my time doing leadership development and consulting. A lot of what I do in the developing world is training leaders because we believe that raising up good leaders in the developing world is the best way to help others come out of poverty. We also do a lot of other projects. Not really here to talk about that. But I spend a lot of my time in leadership development. And a couple of things are clear that I truly believe. Number one, we are created to learn and grow. We were not put here to just hang out and go where the wind takes us. Like everything that we experience is an opportunity for growth. And I also believe that leadership is a journey, not a destination. It doesn't matter what you've already attained. There's always another level. There's always more that we can be learning. There's always more growth that we can experience. And like right now during this pandemic, it's like everything that we thought we knew, it pretty much doesn't matter anymore because everything's had to pivot. Everything has, has had to change. And it's been this um, amazing experience to where if you look on your, your social media feed, it's like everybody knows everything about everything. And then if you look at a different person, they know everything about everything. But when you compare the two, Everybody's knowing everything about everything doesn't match up with everybody else's everybody knowing everything about everything. And so I think that what that really teaches us is that we don't know anything. All we know is God, him sending his son, Christ crucified, and he is our only guiding force right now. And the Proverbs are a source of wisdom. And we trust that in, even in all the uncertainty is there's conflicting facts from trusted sources and, and you don't know who to trust. The only thing we know we can trust is God himself. And thanks to him for also not just leaving us there, but also pouring into us and giving us resources that we can dive into to help us in times such as these. And seasons like this are actually a gift because in our lifetime, if we're being honest, there's not an awful lot of times that we've had or seasons that we've had where we have desperately needed God in our lives. But as we are now, we see that we need him. We need his faithfulness. We need his stability. We need to hope in something 
other than what we can see. And so it's a, it's a gift to have a season like this where we get to look to his wisdom and let it meet us in the uncertainty of where we are and follow him into a greater understanding of what his purposes and his plan are. And this morning, I want to look at a part of God's wisdom and instruction that maybe doesn't get as much run as other areas of of wisdom. When you, when you break open leadership books, there's a lot of things in the Proverbs that you find across the board, but this one doesn't get as much airtime. And when Lance said, hey, would you come and, and be a part of our Word to the Wise series, is there anyone that jumps out to you? Yes, there is, and I do want to talk about that. And so we're going to be talking specifically this morning about the cry of the poor. And specifically, we're going to be looking at four different verses uh, from the Proverbs, four Proverbs that hit on um, poverty and the poor. But what I also want us to, to realize is that there are over 2,000 verses in the scriptures that deal directly with the poor or poverty. 2,000 verses. I don't know if you're counting, but there's 30,000 plus verses in the Bible. 2,000 of those are given to instruct us and encourage us to know how to engage with the poor. So as we're going to dive in, we're going to get to these Proverbs. I want to I start with a little bit of a wider look that helps us see God's heart for the poor. And to start with Jesus always seems like a good place to start. And so we're going to start with some of his words from Luke chapter 4. And what we're going to see here before we read the passage is that the poor are a priority to God. The poor are a priority to God. They have never been an afterthought. They've never been an inconvenience. They have always been included in God's law and in God's provision. And we see this on display in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus this is Jesus beginning his public ministry. This is where he starts, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what's interesting to me about this passage is that it would have been a solid statement if he would have just said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's, a, he's anointed me to preach good news. That would have been a sufficient statement in and of itself, but Jesus himself clarifies it one step further, and he says, to the poor. I'm a little concerned about something in our, our church culture right now, and that concern is how flippantly the word gospel is used. We use the word gospel as if everybody knows what it means, and it makes me think of Princess Bride a little bit. It's like that word that you keep using, I'm not sure that it means what you think that it means, and you can use it different traditions, different faith, different, different people from different places who believe very different things use the word gospel as if it all means the same thing. And normally what we understand and I, I, what, my, what I feel like most of the time is when people talk about the gospel, they're talking about God's love for his people, God not wanting them to stay in their sinful condition. So he sent his son from heaven to earth to live among us to live the perfect life that we could never live to die on the cross to pay the penalty that our sins deserved and in exchange for that offers us forgiveness he pays for our sins says i've got that here let me in exchange give you forgiveness and redemption and freedom from all of the the baggage that was involved with that and on top of that i will give you eternal life you'll dwell with me forever like that is the gospel. And it's not that that's wrong, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with our acknowledgement or our acceptance of it. And I think that too many times we take that to the poor part and we find a way to make that about us, that he preached good news to the poor. Well, I'm poor in spirit. 
Oh, I'm destitute of mind. Like, I am weak and I need a Savior. Like, that's still true, but that is not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was actually talking about the literal poor, oppressed, and destitute. And you see that it makes a lot more sense. Otherwise, the release of the captives makes more sense when you realize that he's talking about the literal poor. Sight to the blind, the, the, the cast out, to set free the oppressed. Jesus was talking about the poor. Provision for the poor has always been a part of God's law. And God is teaching us that through Jesus, the poor are of the utmost importance to him. Our first word to the wise from Proverbs is this, from Proverbs 17. And it says, the one who mocks the poor insults his maker. And one who rejoices over calamity will not go unpunished. These are incredibly strong words. They're incredibly strong words because I think that probably you and I know that I have. Have you ever been in a car where you drive by a homeless person and somebody makes a derogatory remark at their expense and insults the poor and the homeless? Proverbs just says that that's an insult to God that himself. God himself. The one who mocks the poor insults his maker and whoever rejoices over the calamity, over calamity will not go unpunished. Have you ever heard somebody talk about the AIDS epidemic and say, well, they're just reckless sexually, so they got what they deserved? Friends, that's blasphemy. Definitions of blasphemy include insulting God. So when we insult God by mocking the poor, we are walking in heresy. We are blaspheming against God. We need to understand that that is a sin, a blasphemous sin, and God is never honored by turning poverty into a joke or making less of people who are stuck in it. Never. We've all been around those situations, and instead of just, and there's something in us, if you have the Spirit, there's something in you that goes, that's not right. But I want us to understand that the Proverbs is calling us out and saying, not only is it not right, it's sinful. Not only is it sinful, it's a direct insult to the maker of that person. And if you insult the maker of that person, you're committing blasphemy against God. There's a lot of strength. If the poor are a priority for God, friends, they have to be a priority for us. A word to the wise. The poor are of the utmost importance to God. And then there's other Proverbs that help us navigate this. And, and I want to just s summarize it like this. We need to engage the poor to engage with God. We need to engage the poor to engage with God. What do you mean by that? Proverbs 21 says this. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. And so the question for us is this. Are we listening? Or are we shutting our ears and pretending like there's not a problem? Are we shutting our ears and acting like billions of people don't live on a dollar a day in poverty that's preventable? Are we listening or are we pretending that we're not even hearing it? See, it's one thing for us to go, hey, yeah, absolutely, the poor are important to God. And we want to support them. And we know that there's great people doing great work. But the Proverbs doesn't let us off that easy. It takes it one step further. It's one thing to see how God prioritizes the poor and agree with it, but it's another thing to engage directly with it. Here's the thing. It's really inconvenient to listen. 
Because in order to listen, and we've heard a lot about listening in our culture here recently, in order to listen, that means you have to stop talking. We have to stop listening in order to prepare our next argument for how we don't have to engage in what we've heard. And I think it's really significant that in the Proverbs, the specific instruction we're given is to listen to the cry of the poor. Don't listen to them and ignore it because that insults our maker. But actually listen. Actually understand. Listening requires intentionality. It, include, it, it means setting aside something that we would, would rather do. Listening is the next step in obedience after acknowledging that the poor are important to God. And then it gets a little bit personal. And I want to ask you a personal question. Have you ever felt like God's not listening? Have you ever felt like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Have you ever felt like there's no movement in the things that you're praying for? Now, this isn't the only solution to that, but I do want us to consider something that's not very comfortable. Have you ever felt like God's not listening? Because the truth might be that he's not. When does he not listen? When we close our ears to the poor, God closes his ears to our prayers. That is not an easy thing to listen to. But it's what he says. God loves you unconditionally. God sent his son to die for you. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. His love for you is perfect. But he also invites you to dwell with him in what we call a relationship. A living, breathing, active relationship that includes experience and feeling his presence. That experience includes experiencing dialogue with him. That ex includes experiencing the, the leading of the Holy, Holy Spirit and letting us be obedient into things that we never thought possible. See, being a Christian, it's not just believing all the right things about God. It's not just about taking that first definition of the gospel that we talked about and going, I believe that and I can't wait to get to heaven. It's not just hanging out for at whatever point we accept Christ to when we get taken back to heaven. There's this whole lifetime that God invites us to be this amazing and rich experience of being in a right relationship with him where his presence accompanies us, where his strength and his power is put on display through us. And here's what I want us to, to consider is that if you ignore the poor, you might never experience that relationship part of God. This is pretty clear. If you ignore the poor, to some extent, God is ignoring you. Not because of anything that he's done, but because of our sinful nature and pride, refusing to engage in something that he said is a, an incredibly important thing to him. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. More really strong words from Jesus. In this particular case, what's one thing that we can not acknowledge? That the poor are a priority for God and that God's call for us is to engage with the poor. When we deny that reality in our own lives, to one degree we are denying the words of Jesus before the Father. We deny God before others when we shut our ears to the cry of the poor. When you engage with the poor, you engage with the presence of God. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So when you're close to the brokenhearted, you're close to God. 
I don't know what your experience is. Hopefully you've had the opportunity to spend some time among the poorest of the poor. And it doesn't have to be the poorest of the poor. It can be American poor where there's a lot of um, oppression. There's a lot of need and opportunity. When you engage with the poor, you meet where God is. He's there. And when you meet with him there, your worldview starts to change. And here's how you know that you're starting to engage poverty and not just agreeing with God about it. But when poverty starts to become a person and not just somebody else's problem, you know that you're engaging. So if poverty is not just a program or a check that you write, poverty is your friend. Poverty is because you know people. Like you're engaged in poverty when it has real life names that may not eat tomorrow. That's what engaging poverty is. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And I'll, I'll stop right here for a second and, and give some, some full disclosure and confession, right? I spend over half my time on the front lines of this. Right now, when I haven't been able to travel, we've been on Zoom calls, and the pandemic is bad here. It's far worse than you could ever imagine in the developing world where people were that were already living on a dollar or two a day were doing that because of working one day at a time and going and buying provision one day at a time. Now all of a sudden they're on lockdown and they can't work. They can't generate income. They don't have credit cards. They don't have parents to bail them out. They don't have resources that we, they can't apply for governmental assistance. There is none. They're just left on their own, trusting God. And we're trying to figure out how to keep people alive. That's right now, today, this week, last week. And when we all thought we were almost coming out, there was a lot more money. It was a lot easier for us to engage in that. It's getting harder now. Because engaging with the poor doesn't get any easier. And here's my confession. At any given time, any given place, any given trip, there hasn't been one trip that I've made, and there's been a lot to a lot of different countries. Have I not found myself at one point on my knees weeping over the brokenness that poverty has created and it's a lot to carry it's a lot to carry but there comes a point where we have to go this was important to God he calls me to engage with it and I'm supposed to engage in it but there it smells bad it's uncomfortable it's painful but you know what brings me to tears more than how hard it is the hope joy love generosity of the poorest of the poor welcoming me into their homes and sharing with me anything that they have if you want to find god find the poor because he's there it took holly and i my wife 90 days living among ukrainian orphans to admit that things needed to change there was things that we didn't see until we experienced, until we engaged it, where we lived among it, and we came out of that, and we had to make significant changes in the trajectory of the, the, net, the rest of our lives, all because of engaging the poor. And I know that may make you go like, oh, that's why I'm not. I don't want to have to change things. And I, you may or may not have to change what is normal for you as far as jobs and where you live. However, as followers of Jesus, we need to be open to the fact that engagement could look like anything. Our world is a global village. Loving our neighbor is our call to love people that we're in touch with. We're literally neighbors with the whole world 
now whom we are commanded to love, we have got to engage. We are called to engage. The poor are of the utmost importance to God. We are to engage the poor, to engage God. When you engage the poor and you start to pray differently, look out. Because the nature of your prayers answer and the answers to those prayers are like nothing that you've experienced before. On the other side of engaging the poor are answers to prayers that you never thought were possible for you to experience firsthand. They're an in, it's an invitation. I want to move on here. So after we acknowledge that they're important to God, after we say, okay, I'm ready to engage, what's next? Do justly and walk humbly. Now this is scary because in this passage in Micah, these are honest questions being made about, hey, what's the right way to worship? What are the things that, that we should include? It's like, how long should we sing? Should we do communion? Is that appropriate? Should we pray? And should we read together? And by the way, today, like if you were tuned in from the very beginning of this, like we had a lot of church way before I even started getting to dive into this. Like what an amazing um, display. Like faith was on display here. Prayers that were real to the heart of God were amazing here. So there's some really good stuff that's already happened here today. I'm grateful to be a part of that. But this verse in Micah, these, there's actually three verses. There's only going to be one on your screen, but I want to start reading, give you a little bit of context. Honest questions that people were asking here. What should I bring before the Lord when I come, come to bow before God on high? What should I bring? Have you ever had anybody be like, hey, uh, what should I invite somebody to church? And they're like, what should I wear? What's it going to be like? Are they going to, like, what do I, do I need to use the secret password? Do I need to know the Christian buzzwords? Honest questions. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? They're saying, I want to get this right. I want to honor God with my worship. Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? And look at this response, mankind. He has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness. You may be more familiar with a, a translation that says love mercy. Act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a little more complicated than what should I bring? What should I do? It's like, no, no, that's the easy part. The harder part starts to be when you live this out. Act justly, love faithfulness, walk humbly with your God. I hope that you're starting to see the significance of justice for the poor, the discriminated, the oppressed, the trafficked, the abandoned, the widow, and the orphan. God's response is that just because, we're sh just because we cut out some time right now when we could be literally doing anything else we want, like, that's good, but that's not necessarily obedience. Obedience is, after our time together, are we walking out of here, trusting him more, loving faithfulness, acting justly, and walking humbly with him? If corporate times together aren't propelling us to the front lines of engaging with the poor, then we're missing out on an important part of what God has planned for us. So what do you do? If you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I don't want to mess this up. I want to get this right. I hear you. 
Obviously, there's a strong case to be made from the Proverbs that my obedience can look like more than I'm currently doing. Let me encourage you with three simple things. What do you do? You start. Just start. And your starting is probably, it can be praying. Pray to God that he would show you where to start. Listen to what he's saying. There's poverty all over the world. There's injustice all over the world. What's tugging at your heart? Start praying. Prayer changes things. If you don't have something, pray for everything generally until God narrows it it down for you. But start being on the lookout for what's grabbing your heart when it comes to the poor. I let Carol, you know, I love that she prayed for attack poverty today. It's an amazing opportunity right here in Fort Bend County in the greater Houston area. To they are they are making it easy to engage poverty, to engage the poor. There's a lot of other great organizations as well, locally, internationally. I'm not telling you what your obedience should look like, but I know that you have one. When you start praying, God's going to show you. Some of you may have already started and you don't even know because when you give to your local church, generosity to the church is also generosity to the kingdom, and churches are engaged in this. So your support of your local church here at the Grove is also starting because it is addressing some of the issues of poverty that are around the world. I know that attack poverty is very important around here. I know that Beacon India is really important around here. Those are incredible things that are happening. By being a part of the Grove, you're maybe more engaged than you thought, and maybe you just need to start asking more questions. Tell me more about that. Can I know? Can I have a coffee? Can I send a message? Can I send an email? How can you be more personally engaged with the things that are literally already happening that you've had your ears closed to until now? It could be as easy to, as that as start. It doesn't matter where you start, but find some place to start. Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100 people, feed one. How do you get started? Just do what you can do where you are with what you have. God's not asking you to, to sell everything necessarily. That may come later and follow him to the ends of the earth. But right now, the invitation is just start. Get moving. See if you can make poverty have a, a name. Can it become a person that you love and not just a project or a problem to be solved? The next thing I would just say is sacrifice. After you've started, after you've found an opportunity, the next step is sacrifice. King David in 2 Samuel, he said, I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. So engaging with the poor, it actually should cost us something. And I, I want to be a, a little bit careful because socially conscious businesses are super hot right now. And just because you wear Toms doesn't mean you've engaged the poor. Just because you've bought jewelry from a place that donates some, we don't get a pass for that. Is that a better place to buy things? Sure. But that didn't cost you anything. You're still wearing the things you would have already worn. You're still doing the things. Is that a good thing to do? Yes. Is that engaging the poor? I would have to say, I don't think so, because it's not personal. It didn't cost you anything. And I believe that generosity is about sacrifice. I believe it's about sacrifice, and it's supposed to cost us something. Proverbs, another proverb says this, a generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. It costs you something. Something that you have, that you were going to use for yourself, give it away. And maybe let yourself go without it. That begins to be sacrifice. I have a family of five. I've got three near adults, and I want to tell you that, man, I miss the kids' meals 
and kids eat free days. Like those days are long gone for us. Like I cannot get out of Chick-fil-A without spending 60 bucks. If I go, if we go and experience the blessing of God at Pablo's, 100 bucks for my family just for a meal and a drink. God forbid we order dessert or an appetizer. Then I'm on the other side of Benjamin. And 100 bucks. Here's a reality, friends. For the price that I throw down for my family at Pablo's for one meal, I can feed five families for a month in India, in Uganda, in Central and South America. That's something that I don't have to have. It's something that I enjoy. And we wrestle with this. And we make it a priority to make sure we went through a massive uh, job situation change at the end of last year. We had to move to a different place. We had to look at all of our expenses. And we're looking at the things that we're giving to and going, we're not touching that. We're not going to let the sacrifices stop just because our situation changed. What can, what can we cut to make sure that we get to still be obedient for that? For the price of dinner, I can, I can provide a microloan to somebody that will raise them out of poverty for the rest of their lives. I can skip a latte and I can buy a Bible for somebody in India. I can wear my shoes for six months longer than I want to, and I can provide mosquito nets for a family. I can save lives. I can engage the poor by just a couple of little things that I would normally do by doing it a little bit different. Those are just little sacrifices, but when you get in the game, those sacrifices begin to grow, and you realize that there's more that you can do, and there's probably more that God's calling you to, but you don't have to worry about that yet because he'll give you the grace for those things later. Right now, it's about starting. If you've already started, the next step is, is sacrificing, and your biggest fear may be that God's going to, like, if you start obeying, like, God's going to banish you to Africa or the Philippines or the end of the earth or, or some tribe that doesn't speak. You know what? I hope that he does. There's 400,000 Christian missionaries in the world right now. Here's the thing about missionaries that we don't talk about often enough. They are the most ordinary people that you've ever met. They're not super Christians. They're not, they are heroes, but there's nothing different about you than them. What makes them great missionaries can make you a great missionary. You know what made them a great missionary? Their yes. That's it. That's the only thing. And God doesn't call everybody the nations. I'm not saying he should. But I'm just saying we can't go. I hear this all the time. Well, my mission field is right here. And I'm like, you don't get to make that call. That's God's calling on your life. Should you be faithful right here? 100%. You don't just be a missionary at home. And you don't just be a missionary around the world. You just live in obedience to God all of the time. Jesus paid for our salvation with his life. And our obedience and association with him should cost us something. And I think that what that should cost us is engaging with the poor. The last thing is this. Stand. Stand. I almost call that go. Right? Start, pray, sacrifice, give, stand, go. Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up. Judge righteously and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. What if it's supposed to be you? What if it's supposed to be your voice advocating for those who can't 
advocate for themselves. As you grow in acting justly, your passion will multiply and it'll start moving you into strategy. What else can I do? How can I be a long-term support for this issue or this cause? Guys, engaging the cries of the poor requires us to speak up and show up. Speak up and show up. And I mean it, like literally, with your voice. Right now, it just breaks my heart. Social media feeds are all about conspiracy theories and politics and masks. Who cares? Because the 20,000 people that die every day from starvation, it's climbing closer to 40. The conditions around the world for trafficking are multiplying on our watch. But all we're doing is talking about masks. All we're doing is talking about right and left and who's, what, who's wrong. And we're unleashing judgment on God's people with different opinions than us. And I just wonder, where are the faithful where is act justly, love, mercy, walk humbly with God? Now is our time. This is our time. It's our moment. Use your voice and speak up for something that God cares about, which is the broken people. Good news to the poor. And show up, not just with your check, not just with your tithe, but you, you're valuable. You matter. What you bring to the party is important. You're a part of God's redemptive plan for rescuing people from party, from poverty. And you personally are important. So show up somewhere. Get to know somebody. Use your resources. Use your influence. Use your network. Raise money. Advocate. Speak up. Take a stand. Go. Leave your house. And God, you're not supposed to leave your house right now. So be careful. Maybe this is a later word, right? So that's fine if it is. But when you're ready, when it's safe, I've been home for seven months now, and it's killing me. Thank God for Zoom where I can show up, but it's like, I haven't been able to go, and it's burning a hole in my heart. We should be ready to go. I want to give two final words, and these are going to be quick. When you talk about poverty, it's easy for a certain group of people to just be like, yes, finally, somebody's saying it. Let me be careful. Social justice alone is not the gospel. Just because you're obedient to the poor, you can do all of these things and still go to hell. You can buy the right shoes. You can give to the right causes. You can be doing a lot of good projects. But if it's not motivated by Luke chapter 4, being good news to the poor in the name of Jesus, then it's missing its most important element. I want to just draw attention to one story. Remember when Jesus was anointed with oil, the alabaster jar that cost a year's wages. And remember, Judas spoke up. Um, two of the Gospels just say they spoke up. John called Judas out and said it was Judas who said, hey, why, why are you doing that? We could have sold that for 300 denarii and given it to the poor. So it's like, be careful, because sometimes the voice on behalf of the poor doesn't have pure motive. And Jesus rebuked him, and he said, leave her alone in John chapter 12. She has kept it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So I just want to be clear. None of this matters until you enter into that relationship with Jesus. We start, it, you don't start with any of this until you start with Jesus. Because then it's just about trying to justify ourselves and feel better about ourselves. But when we go first to God, seek first his kingdom, then all of these things 
fall into place. But the other, so that's one extreme. Social justice alone is not the gospel. So serving the poor without Jesus is incomplete. But ignoring social, social justice is not the gospel either. A gospel without social justice is also not the gospel. Two important reminders. So from our teaching today, sacrificing, speaking up, standing on behalf of the poor, it's God's call on each of our lives. Planting churches isn't enough. enough. Great church experiences aren't enough. Having a quiet time, praying prayers, not enough. Also, engage the poor good news to the poor. God's doing all of those things in us to propel us to do something about poverty, to respond to the cry of the poor. And this morning, if you've participated in the degradation, in the insulting, in the mocking, or ignoring the cry of the poor, the appropriate response is repentance. It's not a joke. It's not light. It is significant. It was blasphemous if you've participated in that, and I want to invite you to put God's offer of forgiveness to the test and receive all of that redemption and forgiveness and make a pivot right now towards allowing your heart to be moved by the things that move God's heart. Sync up with God's purposes and plans regarding the poor, and a lifetime of being on the wrong side of it can turn around right now. And all of that is forgotten, and we can be who God wants us to be with the poor. We can repent and respond and reap the benefits that a relationship with God provides. If you're tuning in for the first time and you don't know who Jesus is, thanks for sticking it out. Thanks for walking with us to to this point. And I just want to invite you to consider that we worship a God who doesn't let the smallest things on the earth go unnoticed, including you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you can respond. The worst thing you've done can be forgiven. The best thing you've done, it's not enough to make God go, well done. Only believing in him, repenting of our sins, and trusting him are how we move forward. That's something that you can experience. And I encourage you to leave a comment, go to the Grove Church website, and send an email. Just reach out. We're here to help. Every church is here to help. And we're excited that you had the leading and the opportunity to come and be a part of it. So I'd like to just pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you that your wisdom includes important instruction, even instruction that's not easy for us to hear. But God, hard teachings make soft hearts. So would you soften our hearts towards the people that matter to you that are being ignored? God, would you allow us to sense your leading? Would you show us where we are? Are we at a starting point? Are we at a sacrificing point? Are we at a standing point? God, help us. Help us to be in sync with you. Thank you that our honest confessions intersect with your goodness and grace and love. Thank you that you don't hold these things against us when we come to you and repent and turn to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the hope that we have that's greater than anything that we could ask or imagine. Thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for meeting with us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name.